That's what we celebrate. The Savior has come. Won't you stand with me as we sing this great carol? Praise angels we have heard on high. Glorious and excelsior day.
Christmas season, we recognize that Christmas brings to mind many different feelings and emotions for all of us. Many uh, of us feel excitement and anticipation for all that the season will bring. However, for some, there's a longing, a longing for more at Christmas than we've known in the past. There is a longing for more than the cards and the presents, a longing for more than the meals and the holiday specials. There's a longing for something real and for something lasting, love. Love is what we're longing for, and it is really what Christmas has always been about. You see, since man rebelled there in the garden and sinned against God, there has, from that point forward, been a separation, a separation that has broken our perfect relationship with God. And so God had a plan and that plan was a plan of love. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God's love and desire for relationship with us was so great that he sent his only begotten Son to purchase us, out of our slavery to sin. Which brings us this morning to the lighting of our third Advent candle representing love. 
familiar passage for all of us this morning. It's John 3, 16 through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believed on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Let's pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for your great love. We thank you for your great grace, and we just pray this morning that you might continue to help us to recognize that Christmas is about so much more than all of the presents under a tree, than all the lights, the cards that are exchanged, or even the family gatherings. That Christmas is about your great love for us, that it caused your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come to this world, to die upon the cross for our sins, and to rise again on the third day, that we might be saved. Lord, help us to remember your great love. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Sing this beautiful carol together. Together, silent night, cold night. Let's sing it together.
incarnate love divine a star and angels gave the sign plow to babe on bended knee the savior of humanity unto us a child is born he shall reign
Amen. Thank you, Nadia. Great job once again. It's not Christmas until we hear Nadia sing Noel, is it? it uh, what a blessing. And what a blessing to pastor a church where um, before I get up to preach, we have such wonderful time of worship. It makes it uh, so much easier to preach when the hearts are ready uh, to hear the word of God proclaimed. If you will turn with me this morning to Luke, <coughs> Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 46 through 55. And both this week as well as next week, we're actually going to be uh, looking at uh, two different hymns of praise uh, from two different people whose lives were touched by two different miraculous births. And of course, this morning we're going to be looking at Mary's hymn, her doxology of praise for what the Lord had done in her life. And so we're going to be looking specifically at the magnificent love of God today. And as you turn there to Luke chapter 1, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. Lord, we thank you for the fact that while we were yet still far from you, that you had made your decision in eternity past, before the foundation of the world was laid, to rescue us, to come on a mission of love, to come as a baby, to humble yourself, to live the existence of a man, but not in a palace surrounded by servants, but as a man of humble means who came to serve. Lord, thank you for living a perfect, sinless life because none of us could. Lord, thank you for dying the death that should have been ours. And Lord, we thank you you rose again, as only God himself can do. And so, Lord, we have reason to celebrate this morning. We have reason to celebrate because of your love. Lord, this morning I have some friends here, and they don't yet know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, they know about you. Lord, they know a lot about you. They know facts. They know stories. They know what others say. But they have not yet entered into that personal love relationship with you. Lord, help them to recognize it's not a good enough thing to know facts and stories and what other people know. But they must know you. They must enter into that love relationship where they trust you by faith. Where they repent of their sin and place everything that they are or ever will be in you. So Lord, I pray for salvation in this place today. I pray that we might be as overwhelmed by your great love as Mary was. 2,000 years ago. Oh, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christmas. Christmas is a wonderful time of year as we celebrate the first advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet, the season of the year can also be stressful, depressing, and lonely for many within our community, for many within our church. Maybe for many within your family, maybe even perhaps for you this morning. There's stress at Christmas time, isn't there? There can be stress to get it all done and to get it all done right, just the right way at Christmas. It can be depressing for some at Christmas because those who have made it so special for so many years are not with us this year. It can be lonely as family no longer gathers and celebrates like they did years ago. So we can get so wrapped up 
in all the pomp and all the circumstance of the season that we forget that it really is all about the magnificent love of God coming to us in the form of that little baby that Mary would name Jesus. The months between the announcement of Christ's birth to Mary and Joseph and the actual moment that he arrived here on this earth were months of both decisions and anxious waiting on the part of Mary and Joseph. However, as difficult a time as it surely was, it is a pleasure to watch Mary and to see how she conducted herself, realizing all that Mary was going through. Realize this was an unmarried teenage girl in first century Palestine. This was so difficult. And so in this passage, she's making a journey to get away from her hometown and to go and to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is also expecting a very special baby, and we know his name will be John the Baptist. And we're going to talk more about that miraculous birth next week. But when Mary arrives at her cousin's house and speaks to Elizabeth, we're told that this baby, who is John the Baptist, leaps within Elizabeth's womb for joy. And I don't know about you, but it reminds me that this unborn child is just that, an unborn child right at this moment. Not at some point in the future when, once this child is born, but at the moment that he was still within his mother's womb, he was a child because he leaps at the sound of the message that Messiah was on his way. This was not simply some lower life form that could be disposed of at a moment's convenience. This was a child. Elizabeth's response is something incredible. She responds by telling Mary that she is blessed because she has believed the Lord and that God will do all these things that he has said he will do in and through her life. This teenage girl's life will be used in a powerful way. And hearing this, Mary, even though she was young, even though she was just a mere teenager, unmarried, pregnant, she begins to lift up her voice in praise to the Lord. And in doing so, she reveals a heart that is in love with the Lord and a mind that has been saturated with Old Testament Scripture. That's what got her through this time. She teaches us that we can praise the Lord with a heart of, of praise for his magnificent love despite our circumstances at the moment and that God's grace is sufficient even in the most troubling times in our lives. Mary's great song of praise has come to be known as the Magnificat. It's a Latin translation of those first few words that Mary speaks of my soul celebrates the Lord. In this doxology, it's a hymn. It's a hymn of praise. It's a hymn of praise to the Lord for all that he has done, for his magnificent love. And it reminds us today that the birth of Jesus is about far more than gifts underneath of a tree. It's about more than the lights on a tree. It's more than the TV specials about Rudolph and Frosty, or my favorite, Buddy the Elf, or even simply the time with family and friends, as special as that is. The Christmas season is really all about the magnificent love of God that would allow him to send his only begotten son here 
to us in our sinful condition. It's about a baby who came to give his life for our sins that we might have a relationship with the Lord. It's about us learning to celebrate his glory and his goodness. It's our great reminder of the magnificent love of God and how amazing and how matchless that his grace truly is. And so this morning, look with me at Mary's song, The Magnificent, and let us celebrate together the magnificent love of God. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall be blessed. For, me, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has shewed strength with his arm, and he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. You may be seated. Notice here that as, as Mary reflects on the magnificent love of God, she continually comes back to the subject of God's great grace. When we think about the love of God, it will always lead us back to that same subject. It will always lead us back to God's great grace. God's love and grace are highlighted by Mary, I believe, in three magnificent ways here in these verses. She's overwhelmed, and her love for the Lord pours out in this song of praise. And so we first see in 46, verses 46 through 49, the Lord's magnificent personal grace. It was personal. In these first few verses, Mary expresses her personal praise to the Lord for his blessings in her own life, in her personal life. And in doing so, she sets the example that every Christian should seek to follow. Notice in verses 46 and 47, she has been redeemed. The first object for which she lifts up her voice in praise is for salvation. Now, like the rest of us, Mary was born in sin. And Mary stood in need of a Savior herself. And that's an important fact for us to understand. Mary was not perfect. <laughs> she was like us. She was a sinner who needed to be saved by the grace of God, by the magnificent love of God. And in verse 47, she declares her dependence upon God in heaven for her salvation, that she couldn't do it herself. That's important for us to understand. Salvation is simply praising the Lord for what he has done. She is praising the Lord for salvation that he has provided in her life. And so your life may be falling apart this morning. And I understand that. It's been a difficult year for many here at Brinesburg. It's been a difficult year for many within this community. And especially when we think about what we had an anniversary of yesterday, of the tornadoes that ripped through not only our community, but 16 other communities. And so it may be that your, your life is falling apart this morning. But if the precious blood of Jesus has redeemed you, 
then you have a reason to praise the name of the Lord. Mary's personal life was an upheaval. She was a pregnant teenage girl in first century Palestine. Again, we sometimes don't get what that meant. Her life was in danger. And yet she still praises the Lord. According to Luke 20, according to Luke 10, verse 20, simple salvation is a good reason to praise the Lord. Think about it. Because you have been saved, you will never go to hell. Is that good news? <laughs> That's good news. Because you have been saved, you will never stand before God in judgment. Because you've been forgiven already. Because you have been saved, you will be granted access into heaven. Guaranteed because of your relationship with Jesus. Because you are saved, you will experience what it is to be in the presence of the Lord for eternity. Do we have a reason to praise the Lord this morning? You are a child of the King of Kings and of the Lord of Lords. Do we have a reason to praise the Lord this morning? I'm simply saying that we have abundant reasons to rejoice, as did Mary. And, and Mary here recognizes it. And so I challenge you as a Christian, I challenge every Christian under the sound of my voice this morning. Maybe you're watching on television or Facebook Live. I challenge you to offer the sacrifice of praise unto the Lord, just as Mary was willing to do. Some may argue, though, I hear you, Brother Brad, but after the year that I've just been through, I do not have anything to praise the Lord for this Christmas season. And you may really feel that way today. You may really come into this place feeling that way. Well, Mary is speaking out of a personal relationship with Christ. That allowed her, even with her life being in danger, her not knowing what the future would hold. For her and this young child, she knew what she was talking about when she said that she was willing to praise him for all that he had done in her life. And when you are saved and when you know him, it will put rejoicing in your heart as well. Not just during Christmas, but all year long. To recognize who and whose you are in Jesus. But also look at verse 48. The first part of verse 48, she has been regarded. That, that word has power, regard. It's to turn the eye upon. I want Think about that. And, and what Mary's ex explaining here is true in your life if you have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been saved, this is speaking to you as well. That the Lord of heaven and earth has turned his eyes upon you. Mary's telling Elizabeth that she's a nobody. She said, I'm, I'm Mary. Who am I? But she has experienced the grace of God in a firsthand way. Mary knows that she doesn't deserve the wonderful favor of the Lord that has been extended to her. And yet the Lord did it anyway. He didn't choose some princess in a palace. He chose a teenage girl from the backside of nowhere. To do this wonderful work in and through her life. The power of God. Again, this is a reason for rejoicing. We who are saved have been chosen 
and we've been called and we've been saved by the pure grace of God. There was nothing and there is nothing in us that God should regard us. It's not like we have something in us that God says, well, if I didn't have that, it would all fall apart. There's nothing in us that he has to have. But it's his pure grace that causes him to come after us. In his grace and his magnificent love, he reached down out of heaven and he saved us and allowed us to respond to him by faith. To be regarded by the Lord is a tremendous thing. To have the eye of the Lord turned upon you is a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. And even the great apostle Paul was a product of pure grace. He was saying, there's nothing in me. There's no reason God should have chosen me. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul says it's not about me. It's always and it always will be about the amazing grace and love of God working in and through my life. And even though there is nothing in us that would commend us to him. He still loves us and by grace transforms us into the children of God. That is enough reason this morning for us to praise the name of the Lord. But look at verses 48 through 49. She's been rewarded. Rewarded. Mary realizes that God is doing something wonderful through her life. And after all, she is to be the means by which God of all creation, the God of eternity, will step into human history. Think about that. God is stepping into the story. The author is stepping into the story. This is incredible. And while many in her day would ridicule her, while many in her day would talk about her behind her back, she knew that in the days to come, others would look back upon her. And they would recognize obedience And know that the Lord had blessed her and used her in an awesome way. And her reward was in the fact that God was to be glorified and others would be blessed by her obedience and by her actions for generations to come. And every one of us this morning, every one of us who are in this room who have been saved by the grace of God would have to acknowledge the Lord has done great things in and through our lives as well. Think of the change that he has made in your life. Think about where you were and where he has brought you to in relationship to him. Think of the blessings that you have enjoyed in your life because of your relationship with Jesus. Think of the benefits that are yours because you are now a child of God. Think of the glory that awaits us in the future because we are a child of God. We have been blessed abundantly by the magnificent love of God. And like Mary, we all have reason this morning to praise the name of the Lord for his great love. Are we doing as we should today? But secondly, look at verses 50 through 53, and we see the Lord's magnificent perpetual grace. And we notice in verse 50 the permanence of his grace. The permanence of his grace. Mary knows that she isn't the only one to receive grace from God, nor 
Is her generation the only one that can expect the hand of God to move? His grace is to be revealed to every generation until the return of Christ to this earth. And that includes our generation. It includes us here this morning. The grace of God is operating here today. There is grace. Listen to me this morning. There is grace here this morning to save sinners. And so if you are lost this morning, you can be saved today in this generation, in this day, in this service. You can be saved. Grace to reclaim the backslider. Maybe you say, well, I came today with a friend, but you know what? This church would never accept me. Guess what? God accepts you. And if God can accept you, then we can accept you. Because guess what? We have all made big, huge mistakes. And God has called that sin. And God said, I'll forgive that sin. Come back. Come back to me. Grace for battles and trials and valleys. Grace for what was diagnosed. Grace for the relationship that's fallen apart. Grace to pay the bills. Grace to do it all. His grace is sufficient. Grace for every situation that we face in life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This, in and of itself, this is a wonderful motivator for praise and for worship of the Lord. His grace will never give up on you. It will never give up on me regardless of how weak that we may feel in the moment. But also look at verses 51 through 52 and we see the performance of his grace. Many praise the Lord because he did not come to reach out to the proud and to the mighty. But in fact, God chose to reveal himself to those who were poor, those who were humble. And so in his working of this great miracle... God has demonstrated his power and has put to shame all those who thought that they had figured him out. They knew how it was all going to work out. Oh, he's going to send this great military leader and, and the Messiah will throw off these, the, the, the yoke of the Romans and, and we're going to be free from this, from this empire and, and it'll be a military leader. They, had, they thought they had it all figured out. But in one great act, God has reversed the order of society. Those who are considered great by men will now be brought low while those who trust in the Lord Though they may be poor, though they may be humble, they will be exalted by their faith in the Lord. So this morning, things remain the same. Only those who are willing to humble themselves before the Lord can expect anything from the Lord. <coughs> those who are willing to admit their sins can expect to be saved. Those who are willing to admit their need can have their need met this morning. So before we can expect anything from the Lord, we must be willing to humble ourselves in his sight. And when we do, we can experience his grace, and we can experience it in a very real way. So there are many who will die lost, many who will spend an eternity separated from God in hell, simply because they're unwilling to come to the Lord, simply because they're unwilling to admit their sin, simply because they're unwilling to receive the Lord into their lives. They just want to go through life with the routine that they've got and act like everything's okay. It's not okay. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I don't care how many times you come to church, in a week or in a month or in a year, 
If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're lost. And you need to be saved. And you need to stop thinking that church attendance and coming from a good church family has got you saved. You're lost. And you're headed to hell because you're lost. And we need to see that. So stop being so proud. Humble yourself and come to him. Look at verse 53. And notice the promise of his grace. Mary reminds us that those who realize their lack can come to the Lord and that they can be filled. While those who think that they have need of nothing can expect exactly that from God. There are many today who see themselves through um, very rose-colored glasses. They think that they can say things like, well, I'm just as good as any member that down there at Brinesburg Baptist Church. I'm a good person. I don't steal. I don't hurt people. I mind my own business. And, and at least I'm not a hypocrite like a bunch of those people down there at Brinesburg Baptist Church. At least I'm not like that. However, what they're missing to understand is salvation does not depend upon how well the church members are living. It rests simply upon whether or not you have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about how somebody else is living. It's about do you have a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ? Do not compare yourself to me. You could easily live better than me. I get that. I am not perfect. Ask Robin. But Jesus is, and he's the standard. Are you living up to that standard this morning? Many are like the church members of Laodicea in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea, right, these things saith, say, say, saith the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of all creation of God. I know thy works, thou, that thou art cold, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, and thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and thy, the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even, also, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. They thought that they had everything, that they needed nothing, but they failed to see that they were the neediest people of all. With all they possessed, they still lacked everything because to have the entire world and to not have Jesus is to be doomed for eternity to the fires of hell. And yet to have Jesus and nothing more is to have the greatest treasure that heaven can afford. So if you have all the riches, if you have all the fame of this world, and you do not have the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, you are destitute because you're headed to hell. Mary saw the perpetual love of, and the grace of 
of God as enough reason for rejoicing. And things haven't changed in 2,000 years. He is still the God of all grace. Well, then lastly, look with me at verses 54 through 55. And we see the Lord's magnificent performed grace. Mary praises the Lord not only for his blessings in her life and for his blessings upon successive generations, but she also praises the Lord for remembering to do what he promised to do. And so she exalts his name because he did not forget his people. And though Israel's bondage was long, he continued to remind them the Messiah was coming. He continued to remind them of the promise. And he remembers the cries of his people for a redeemer. And Mary praises the Lord for keeping his word. And we see in verse 54, God remembers his promises. For centuries, the Jews had lived on the promise of the Lord that he, he would one day send a redeemer. A, a Messiah, a, a redeemer would come to his people to restore the nation to a place of righteousness and favor with God. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And so Mary exalts the name of the Lord for remembering to keep his promises. Mary, I, I remind you that Mary remembered the promises of God, that he was a promise keeper then. Well, guess what? He's still a promise keeping God today. He hasn't changed. He will never allow anything that he has promised to go undone. And that's why he can be trusted in every situation of life. Whether it is for our salvation or for our daily needs, God will do what he has said he will do. And therefore, learn to trust him and to learn to praise him for his goodness, even if the answer has not yet been seen with your eyes or heard with your ears. If there is one thing that you can be sure of this morning, it is this, that we can depend on the Lord, that he will never let one of his promises fall to the ground unmet. But also, look at verse 55, God remembers his people. Mary rejoices in the fact that the Lord hasn't forgotten about the people, about Israel. They were his people, and they still are. And she praises his name, that he remembers those that he has placed his, his loving kindness upon and those who have placed their faith in him. We have the same reason to rejoice in this place this morning. There may be some here today who feel that they have been deserted by the Lord because of what you've gone through in life. Let me remind you that we have the wonderful promise of God in this area. Listen to me this morning. Never fear God forgetting about you. You are forever impressed upon the heart of God. In fact, every time he looks at Jesus, he sees you. He will see you through this world and to the next. He did not save you to lose you. He did not save you to forget about you. He saved you to take you home to be with him. What a blessed standing we have in him. Oh, the magnificent love of God. We're indebted to Mary this morning. And when I say that, it's not to the point that we fall before her or to a statue of her and worship, not that we should pray to her, not that we should hold her in any higher standing than anyone else who has ever lived and been a servant of the Lord, but we owe her a debt of gratitude for reminding us that whether it is for her personal grace or the favors for others or, or for those times when the Lord proves himself faithful in the lives of his children, we have a God 
who is worthy of our faith, who is worthy of our love, who is worthy of our praise, who is worthy of our worship. And so this morning, with that in mind, do you have that same heart that dwelled in Mary? Do you recognize the magnificent love of God in your life? In other words, what I'm saying is, is do you have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Not do you come to church, not are you a member of this church, but do you have a personal love relationship with him that causes praise to well up within you because you know what he's done in your life? Are you in a position in your walk with the Lord whereby you can truly celebrate him this Christmas? Is there a need for you to come to him this morning? Do you need to come to him in a personal way, on, on a personal basis, repent of your sin and ask him to come into your heart and into your life this morning? If that's you, I want you to come. And if you need to bring a family member or a friend to walk with you just because you're a little bit intimidated, that's okay. But I want you to come because I, I want you to be able to get any questions you have answered. But I want to make sure that you understand what it means to enter into a personal love relationship with Christ. Do you have reason to come to this altar this morning and just get upon your knees and to praise him and thank him for what he's done in your life? Maybe you need to make this your church home. You know that. You've, you've known that for quite some time. But you, this morning you, you want to come. Maybe the Lord's calling you this morning. You're thinking about missions this morning. You're thinking about maybe the things that God's blessed you to be able to do. And you recognize that maybe he's calling you to some kind of vocational service. And you need to come. And you need to let the church know about that so we can pray for you and begin to help you to move in that direction. But how do you need to respond? Mary was a young teenage girl. And God used her life in such a powerful way that from her life came the Savior. God used her life to bring Jesus Christ into this world. She was a humble servant, and God used her in a magnificent way. He desires to do the same in your life. Oh, the magnificent love of God. Will you respond to him this morning? Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this great reminder from the heart of Mary, of what you have done in our lives, and your great love to use us, your great grace that has allowed us to be a part of, of this big, magnificent plan that is yours to meet the greatest need in this world, and that need is our great need for our lostness to be changed through a relationship with Christ. And lostness is our greatest need. It's greatest need is not for better health. Our greatest need is not for some specific relationship with another person to be met or for a financial need to be relieved but our greatest need is our lostness for it to be dealt with and that can only happen through a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ and Lord you've done everything necessary for us to have that greatest need met the question is is will we humble ourselves as, as Mary said will we humble ourselves to the place of not allowing any of the excuses any of the distractions that we put in place at these times when God begins to speak to our heart for none of that stuff to get in the way, but us to humble ourselves enough to come to you and to say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm in need of a Savior, but I give my heart over to you. Lord, there's some folks that need to make that decision today. They're here, they're watching on television, they're watching on Facebook Live, maybe they're listening on the radio, but they're hearing this, and they know you're speaking to them. Even right now, I pray that you would stir their hearts, that we might see salvation in this place, to your honor and glory. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, would you come? Would you respond to Jesus today?